On this episode of Her Wild Outdoors, Lieutenant Colonel Lisa Jaster joins me in a conversation about the Army, uh, the Marines, um, being the first woman in the reserves to graduate ranger school, um, but also about her time in the outdoors and hunting, um, overcoming adversity, and how character is revealed through that. All right, thanks for joining us for another episode of Her Wild Outdoors. Today, we have the honor of hearing from Lisa Jaster from Texas. Um, I should go ahead and say Lieutenant Colonel Lisa Jaster. Um, (laughs) And I truly appreciate your time um, just hanging out with, with me and with the rest of us and talking about the outdoors and the Army and all of that. It's gonna be fun, I can't wait. Looking forward to it, Amy. Awesome. Well, tell us kind of your background um, and where you come from and and kind of how you got into the outdoors. Okay. Uh, a little bit of my background, I guess, starts with my, my current ground. So mm-hmm. um, as you mentioned, I am a reserve lieutenant colonel i'm actually taking battalion command this week so that's the big exciting moment in my life that's so i awesome. will have no free time for the next two years nope. um, i'm also a mom of two littles an 11 and eight year old mm-hmm. so i will have no free time for at least the next eight years because of that <laughs> as well it's true um yes definitely true um i'm the wife of a marine colonel so that takes up a little bit of time too mm-hmm. uh and then my day job is I'm the director of civil engineering for a civil engineering firm out of New Braunfels, Texas. You mentioned I was from Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are my, my primary functions, I guess. And in the, in the interim, whenever I have a, a few free moments, I do like, I love hunting. My husband got me into hunting. Um, I don't fish as much as I used to anymore. Again, somewhere something had to give yeah uh, and then my whole family likes to work out together and then brazilian jiu-jitsu is also a staple in our family i'm originally from a really small town in wisconsin so i'm from plymouth wisconsin and i guess uh i got i got started into the hunting from from the guy i married yeah he's a avid texas hunter and he had an option to either take mancations like a lot of the spouses do where guys go off and and their brides stay home and my my husband was he would have been okay with that but he thought well let me see if i can share the love of my life with the love of my life right and uh he got me hooked pretty quick but i had grown up fishing um since for as long as i can remember so so we've always been a fairly outdoor family. I have to say that um, whether you are uh, the husband or the wife or, you know, whichever spouse you are who is into hunting, I think that, you know, I'm grateful that my husband was not selfish with it in holding on mm-hmm. to it um, because I also got into it after we got married and... Um, and man, I love it so much, not just because of the hunting part of it, but just the being outdoors part of it and learning and, um, the science of it and the biology of it. And I think that, um, had he held on to it, it would have been his thing, but to be able to share that with me, um, I'm extremely grateful for that, not just for the bonding part of it, but also for the impact that it's had on my life. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've got a I've got a good story for you, Amy. My <laughs> very first uh, deer hunting trip. So Alan had taken me dove hunting, and we had done some, you know, backyard at his at my in laws, which we respectfully refer to as the outlaws. They have a ranch in Texas <laughs> where you know they've they drive around with guns and stuff and me growing up the way I did, I was not used to that. So instead of calling them in-laws, I've always called them outlaws. So we had 
played around in the quote unquote yard. Mm -hmm. uh, If you could see me doing bunny ears, (laughs) Yes, but I've never really gone on a hunt. And I had my son in August of 2008 and it was December, 2008. And Alan had decided, Hey, I think I have a chance of having a lifetime hunting partner. And of course that comes with a positive and a negative one. I, if he gets something cool, I want it too. Yep. And then the negative is I know how much that gun actually costs me. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so, um, it's so true. He, he, yeah. He decided to take the risk and, but I was, I was still breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. So we show up at deer camp and it, I don't know how nice of camp of hunting trips you've gone on, but he wanted to book a nice hunt where we knew we were going to see some at least decent deer. Mm-hmm. So we went to a place with a deer camp and they cooked meals for you, but they had these two by six, uh, four by four wooden bunk beds that were built in a room that had kind of a kitchenette and there was like a shower in the corner. Yeah. So first my husband walks in and he's six foot nine. And everybody kind of gives him the eye roll, like, I'm not sure in a bunk with that guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then he walks in with the only female hunter in camp. So we got our second set of eye rolls. But then when I turned around and had a baby Bjorn with a four-month-old strapped to my stomach. It's if perfect. you had seen, oh yeah, uh-huh. if you had seen the faces in this camp, I mean, it was priceless. If we were... Uh, we had smartphones back then I would have taken video of every single face in the room heck yeah you would have I would have loved to have seen that (laughs) oh it was wonderful but Alan had called ahead and coordinated something with the the ranch owner and we had a little trailer home out back so that I didn't have to breastfeed on a bunk bed with all the boys right right So, so that was that was good but that was that was my first experience to real deer hunting and it was it was definitely a shock to my system and it was definitely a shock to to all the gentlemen in camp who were dealing with a nursing mom on her first real hunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it so those are the circumstances that um that I love to hear about not because it's um it's throwing a different narrative into it but just for the shock value of it. I love oh, it's it. Wonderful. <laughs> yes. I love it. It's um, and like you said, we we do know the prices of things. We do know how much that bow is. We do know how much um, those arrows are every time they're shot and busted. And um, and so there is a little bit of of give there. Um, But at the same time, um, it's it's a. You're not having to talk somebody into it. It's more of, okay, how can we budget that into it? Or how can right. we how can we maneuver things to make it happen? We both want to – this was the first year that my husband and I hunted together. Oh, we, really? Yeah. We, we had young kids, but not young enough to carry around like that. They were – oh, I think I had a – I think they were – five and three at the time that I went the first time and so it was it was one of those hey we're gonna draw straws on who gets to go and um I solo hunted for the first five years and oh wow so this was the first year I actually got to hunt with a group of women we went duck hunting um great experience and then my husband and I got to hunt for the first time. We went on a conservation snow goose hunt in Missouri. Um, oh, neat. That's a lot of fun. And I know that they have, I think they have them in Texas. Um, they follow the flight path from the south all the way to Canada. And it is, since it's a conservation hunt, you shoot as many as you can. Oh, um, wow. It's uh, the snow geese are tearing up the tundra in Canada. And so it's, I think in the fall when they fly south, they have hunts. And then in the spring or early, like February, first of March was kind of the end of it. But um, they'll hunt them on the way back. And it, um, they're called, we had mixed responses on the meat. And we don't, we hunt 
what we eat. We don't necessarily, I've never been on a hunt that we did not eat what we hunted. And Mm -hmm. so I kept hearing, well, the meat's not all that great. I mean, you can donate the meat to um, communities in the area or, and I said, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to at least eat. I mean, I'm all for donating, but I want to Mm -hmm. eat this and we'll figure it out. Um, we brought home 49 birds. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we, we got home late, picked up the kids on the way back from my parents and, and drove into Nashville and it was probably midnight. And here we are with 49 geese that we've got to breast out. Ooh. And I think that we sat there and went, okay, on your mark, get set, go. Whoever breasts out the most gets to sleep in in the morning. <laughs> it's a, oh, nice. Um, it, it became kind of automatic in how you did it, but um, it's, it's gamier than venison, but I would compare it to venison in how, uh-huh. and how we eat it. And it's a red meat. It's lean. It's not like duck. Um, and we make poppers out of it. We make... Um, We'll grill them. We'll smoke them. I, it, they're really good. I I think it's all in how you cook wild game, period, mm-hmm. whatever you're cooking. And so um, we will definitely be going back next year. It was a fun experience. But that was our first hunt together. Very neat. You know, um, you mentioned that it was a conservation hunt. And I think that's something that a lot of people lose in discussions with hunters is that there is a lot of conservation that goes into hunting. Yes. Nobody cares more about a wildlife population than the people who are trying to harvest that wildlife. It's true. It's very true. We've, I think from, this was the first year our kids hunted with us for deer season. And um, I think, but we've been talking about it and, and truly, they've been hunting long and longer than that because they've been learning how to track. They've been learning how, um, how to pick up trash in the areas that we've been to. They've been learning the lingo. They've been learning how to process and cook and all of that, even before this year. Um, mm-hmm. But my daughter, for years, has been able to look at somebody who says, "Why do you hunt?" and she can explain why we hunt and she can explain all of the aspects of it including if we don't hunt the deer then the population of the deer gets overcrowded they get sick and then it wipes it all out so we're we're maintaining a certain number of deer hopefully in our state that will keep the herd healthy that will keep the numbers at a place where You know, we're battling CWD in the western part of our state, and we're hoping that by the way that we manage it, we can keep things at bay. And um, Mm -hmm. and so she's been able to explain that to people since she was probably three. And that's an important aspect of it is the responsibility that we have as hunters. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, you did you did say something about how we eat what we kill mm-hmm. and unfortunately my husband and my son I think it was I I know it was Easter 2 or 3 years ago they went on a turkey a spring turkey hunt um and my son killed a rattlesnake. Oh goodness. And looked square at dad and was like we eat what we kill, right dad? <laughs> <laughs> so they drug that thing home from, I think it was South, Te- South Texas. And um, they drug that thing home. We had the dried rattlesnake skin tacked to our dining room wall. Very, mm-hmm. very redneck. Perfect. Um, in a very fancy dining room, but whatever. <laughs> and it really is about knowing how to cook wild game because we actually had a a friend of mine ended up staying with us for about six six months and she was there when they brought these I think it was it was actually two rattlesnakes they brought these two rattlesnakes home and I made chili and I can't fathom that rattlesnake or I couldn't fathom that rattlesnake would actually be a good meat um it felt like I was making roadkill stew and (laughs) 
my daughter, who's eight now, so she was five or six at the time, will tell people that her favorite chili is rattlesnake chili. That is which, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I prefer she maybe not tell everybody that, but um, <laughs> I do get the side-eyed glance. But yeah, we, we definitely try to eat what we kill, but we also do, you know, um, we went to South Africa and went hunting and they have some population problems yeah. with baboons and other wildlife that um, we paid for additional permits for, you know, fed fed money into the government and the landowner said, hey, if, if you have the possibility of, of shooting 10 baboons, please do. They're tearing up our crops. They're harassing our, our feedstock. Mm-hmm. They're just nuisances and because because of protection rules and and fear and they're not a, a good meat nobody hunts them nobody kills them and, right and so they're just running rampant yeah it's predator control it, it it's pure and and truly that but it's it's um it's nuisance control it's it's kind of like i will see um people in Australia and they are hunting kangaroos and people here in the mm-hmm. States are going, what? You're killing kangaroos. That's like their nuisance yeah. over there. They're, yeah. they overpopulate and create a problem. And so you hunt kangaroo. So you can't knock how people do it in a place where you don't live because you don't understand it. You can't even fathom where they're coming from. Right. And tourists like me love to have things like a kangaroo steak. Right. I have had kangaroo. It is amazing. It's not bad. I, yeah. We had it. Who There was a restaurant here in town that was serving it for a short amount of time. And so we went and I had it one night and I sat there thinking, wow, you would have never thought. Like if you if right. nobody told you, you would have never thought anything different. It was really good. It was a great steak. Um, the same with, we are going to get, um, we're going to get permits this year for, um, oh, what was it? I just lost track of what we were going to do. It's a crane. Um, but there, it's very specific. You actually have to go to a place and wait for your name to be drawn. It's not, there is an online one, but there's also one where you have to actually go to a place and um and it's a great meat it's a great red meat and um and so we're excited i hope that we get to have some but not a whole lot of people know about it um so i don't know it's it's fun i love trying new things i loved going to the wild game dinner growing up with my dad um Mm -hmm. i loved trying uh alligator and snake and i mean there were so many crazy things that people would bring and I'd be like, yeah, I'll try that. I'll try anything. Um, at least (laughs) once I'll try it. Um, but yeah, that's, I don't know the getting into the military part, my brother, when he was going through, um, training, uh, he said, yeah, I've eaten, (laughs) I have eaten a couple of things that really don't taste good, but you do it out of survival. (laughs) Sometimes that's just the military mess hall food. That, that in itself is, um, a little wild (laughs) game-ish. Um, but tell me, I want to touch, you said you grew up fishing, um, Mm -hmm. and then, starting hunting later um and then when did you did you get your engineering license first and then jump into military or was it vice versa so i'm actually a west point grad so my college experience was military yeah so so the same day that I got my degree in civil engineering was the same day that I got commissioned as a second lieutenant in the army. Awesome. And um, I was really privileged because I branched army engineer, which army engineering and uh, civilian engineering are not necessarily 
the same, but they're definitely complementary. Mm-hmm. So in my first couple years of experience, I went to an actual engineering battalion where I where I was one of the few degreed engineers in the unit. So I got to use my degree and I actually got to be a subject matter expert in a few topics that had I been had I not been in the military it would have been four or five years of experience before I could make the types of decisions that I was making a year or two after graduation. That's awesome. Your parents had to have been like, yes, she's using what she, (laughs) you know, you hear, you hear, you hear it all the time. Well, they went to college for English lit, but they're doing blah, blah, blah now. Um, But to be able to apply it immediately and to gain that experience in order to be able to make decisions, that is, and that's a good pat on the back because I don't know, a lot of people have to wait, like you said, so many years before they can have that expertise um, to make certain decisions and the respect that comes from it is pretty awesome. It was a little bit of trial by fire though. That's definitely Uh nerve wracking. Your your ink on your diploma is still fresh and you go from a lifestyle where 90% right is an A to, wait a minute, if I'm only 90% correct, a building might fall down. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. That's a, a little high pressure there. Yep. yep. Yeah. <laughs> but I, the, I, I told you before we even got started that um, my dad's a civil engineer. Um he just actually retired from the company that he was president from uh, of. And so I grew up surrounded by engineers. I grew up surrounded by men that, um, because there weren't many women back in the 80s um, who were engineers. And so it was mainly men. They were all sitting around the table smoking inside the building. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> and... You know, you had architectural engineers, you had mechanical engineers. Um, I, I, there was a plethora of all of them. And I think that what I respected most out of my dad in that situation was as a civil engineer, you kind of have dabbled in all of it. So his yes. ability to conversate with everybody, to be able to sit around and understand what each person is talking about um, was something that I just sat back and enjoyed immensely. Um, it, there's a lot um, that you don't know of specifically every single part of it, but there is mm-hmm. enough that you can meet people where they are and have that conversation um, versus being just in the dark. Yes. Yes. Um, and I, I definitely was able to enjoy that for, for quite some time. And I'm not a licensed engineer, but I do have a master's in civil mm-hmm. and it's, it's neat because it's everything from, I took my kids, my husband and I took my kids to an Astros baseball game. And as we're walking out of the stadium, there's a stretch Hummer limousine. And my son looks at me and says, mom, how is that even possible? And I said, do you want the mom answer or do you want the Lisa answer? Because I want the Lisa answer. I started talking torsional forces Mm -hmm. and what was going on with the, the wheelbases and how what their turning radius was of that vehicle versus the original design and how things changed and how the how the chassis needed to have thicker steel in it and different materials. And I remember thinking, oh, my poor kids. And then I looked at him and he had these big bulbous eyes like, wow, mom knows why that car is cool. Yeah. <laughs> and it was great. And I know nothing about stretch Hummers or limousines or anything else, but I know enough to say, I know why that's possible. Right. The mechanics are there and the vision is there to, to know how it works. And, you know, I've, it goes in life, it goes in hunting, it goes in everything. But my husband and I have worked very hard not to, um, dumb things down when we talk to our kids about things. Um, Mm -hmm. We were never the ones that, I mean, my husband's a wildlife and fisheries major. Um, I was a scrub nurse for cardiac surgery. So you're, they're going to get the medical version of things or they're going to get the scientific version of things. Um, 
And I mean, my kids were, I think, four and two when they were talking about river otter latrine sites. Um, and it's, it, I think it has helped along the way because they've been prepared with language. They've been mm-hmm. prepared with processes of things and with, um, you know, the first time they saw me gut a deer, it was scientific. It wasn't dirty. It wasn't nasty. It wasn't gross. It was very scientific. It was, here's the esophagus and the trachea, and that's where the air and the food go through. And here are the lungs and the heart and the stomach. Their room, they have different quadrants in their stomachs and this is how that works and here's the liver and the kidneys and so to be able to go through all of that it took something that easily could have been disgusting um, and it became a science lesson it became something that they will then apply when they're field dressing an animal um, or just in life in general when they're going through anatomy or um or anything that they hit in the future, they know that it's not just a mess of glob globby stuff in in your body. It's all organized and has a process. And so, yeah, we've never sugarcoated. We've never dumbed stuff down. And I think that they appreciate that, you know? Yes, yes. And it is amazing what they um, pick up. And then sometimes I'm amazed at what they're not really picking up. <laughs> it's <So> true. <laughs> same conversation. We're driving in Houston and there's, uh, or same kiddo. We're driving in Houston and there's a road that's completely falling apart. And my kids are, we're coming back from a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament. My kids are like, why is this road falling apart? It's not that old. Mm-hmm. And it was an asphalt road. So I started explaining asphalt and asphalt is made with bitumen. And I started talking about uh, the temperatures and what could make it brittle. And I started talking about um, the design of it and how you have to design properly. It was a high speed highway. And at the end of my very long monologue, again, (laughs) the kids said they wanted them. They didn't want the mommy version. Mm -hmm. They wanted the Lisa version. Yep. At the end of that monologue, I looked at my son. I'm like, what did you get out of that? He said, so mom, you're saying that you make asphalt from (laughs) bitch, Okay, parenting failed. (laughs) But he will remember that for the rest of his life. (laughs) He will. He will also remember looking his mother right in the face and saying two curse words and her not being able to yell at him. It's very true. Very true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, I think that... um, I think that we've been in a couple of situations like that that probably had to do with um, uh, talking about um, the changes in your body and sex and all of that. And we've had a couple of responses back that um, I'm not going to say just because I don't want to embarrass them, but... um, (laughs) that have been kind of along the same lines and you're just like okay out of that whole conversation you you got got that one (laughs) thing and it's like the joke like the clown clown answer of that conversation and it was it's it's funny it's i love it when they respond with things like that it kind of takes me back and go and makes me go okay So we'll continue that conversation another day. We're going to laugh about this (laughs) and we're just going to enjoy that conversation of what happened this whole time. And we'll laugh about it for the rest of our lives. Oh, yeah. But, you know, you you were talking about hunting, too. So our kids started hunting really early. Mm -hmm. Um, So my son, my son shot his first deer on his own at six. And I guess my daughter did, too. Yeah. Um, This was the first year. Uh, where I would say she did it completely by herself. Um, she wasn't sitting in daddy's lap. Right. Um, and, and my son was probably seven or eight when he he was completely, hey, that's the deer I want. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we talked about conservation earlier. We're really, really, stre- we stress quite a bit. Hey, look at the belly of the deer. Let's age the deer first. Yep. Is it, is it a small eight point? Is it an old eight point? It's never going to be more than that you know, let's, let's take the right deer, let's right. harvest and not just kill to kill because we say, because we see antlers 
And, um, but those moments in the deer stand, they oftentimes start with, Alan will have one kid, I'll have the other. And it'll start with us pulling out a picture. Hey, where do you shoot the animal? Okay, mm-hmm. why are you aiming up and to the right of the, the front leg or, you know, depending on what the picture looks like. Oh, um, you know, this is, this is for, this is a heart shot. This is a lung shot. This will spine them and it'll hurt and it'll mm-hmm. be a slow death. And we'll, we'll talk about that, which of course gets in the anatomy. But when you have those quiet moments, um, and I think this is what a lot of parents miss if you're not a hunter. You have those quiet moments in the stand and you start it with a conversation as heavy as harvesting an animal to feed the family. Yep. You are literally taking a life for the sake of your family's nourishment. And and it, it's that fundamental. And you start the conversation that way and you have five hours. And God help us. I, I, I'm always happy when there's no cell phone reception because you can't, you can't check your email. You can't get updated on Facebook. We bring books and we'll sit in there and Hey, you watch. Cause you know, sometimes you just can't stare out into the woods for five hours straight. Right. Especially with a little one who likes to sit on your lap, but the conversations get so deep in the, the parenting opportunities Mm -hmm. that I would have missed had I never become a hunter of sitting there and talking to my son about the first girl he might have been interested in or talking to my daughter about whether it's it's body changes or um hey how come how come most girls don't do this or how come how come there's nobody else there's no other girls at wrestling when when I go to wrestling tournaments Mm -hmm. oh this is why okay well mom why why do I have to go to wrestling practice if girls don't usually do it? Right. Well, because you get to go to gymnastics and wrestling. And, you know, you get to have just these conversations because all of today's hustle and bustle is removed. And the mere fact that you are there doing what you're doing is already a deep thought. So you're already in that mindset. And I think as a parent, being a hunting parent and raising your children as wildlife conservationists, is uh, there's so much that gets added to my life. I don't know how much it adds to their life. I like to think it's a lot, but there's so much that's added to my life because I sit in the woods underneath a tree as quiet as possible with with a young child and answer questions. Yeah, I, it's irreplaceable. Like that's a bit of quiet, right? Right. <laughs> it's irreplaceable. It's um, the amount of hours that I was out with my kids this year. Um. I, I cannot replace that. I cannot, and I can't find it anywhere else. Um, right. It's, it's not, like even here at the house, we can put all screens down, but there's always something to do. And yes. just sitting in a tree or sitting on the ground, um, like you said, there are conversations. We, this was my son's first year to hunt and he got a deer. Uh, we thought it was a doe and, um, and man, he shouldered that rifle and took the best shot. He, he did a great job. And then we found out it was a button buck and we were so excited just because that's, I mean, here in Tennessee, you can take three doe a day, Uh um, and you can take two bucks a year. And so Mm -hmm. we really do have an overpopulated, um, community a herd of deer in our state and so um and it was exciting it was great but if you backtracked a couple of weeks before that he went out with me for the first time Mm -hmm. and a doe came up with a button buck and I would say that that buck had he was probably a year and a half old old enough to be on his own um we were out of meat um, and I said, Hey, do you want, do you want to take this doe? Mm-hmm. And he thought for a moment, we had a few moments to think about it. And he said, mama, I don't think I can ethically take that shot right now. I have not practiced enough and I don't want to wow. hurt the deer. And wow. for him to be 
in a moment, because you know when you see those deer come out, no matter if you're going to harvest that deer or let that deer walk, your heart is still going a million miles an hour. It's exciting, the adrenaline's pumping, but for him to slow down enough to make a decision based on the well-being of that doe, um, Mm It was something to be proud of. It meant that all of the conversations that we had had leading up to this, the years of conversation, it actually soaked in. And and he utilized that thought process in a moment where it was high anxiety and high adrenaline. And I was Mm -hmm. so proud. I was so proud. As Um, you should be. And it was, I ended up taking the shot. It was a perfect, perfect shot, lung shot. She dropped immediately. And then he got to go through the process with me of everything else. And so um, it ended up, I was more proud that day of that decision that he had made than the harvest that I'd had. And like you said, yes. there's there's something that we take away from that as a parent or as a mentor, whatever mm-hmm. role that you're in, of watching somebody that you have helped along the way, helped to get there and watching them make those good decisions there, um, right. whether it's a harvest or not, there is joy behind that that you can't find anywhere else. Um, when I think the other thing is, what does that indicate about what kind of man he's going to be? Exactly. And as a parent, my husband and I, when before we ever had kids, when I was still pregnant, um, kind of one of those moments when you fall deeper in love with the person you're already married to was um, somebody asked, they're like, well, what do you want for your kid? What do you want them to be when you grow up, when they grow up? Are they going to, my husband's a Marine Corps reservist while I'm in the army. Do you want them to be a Marine or are they going to, are they going to be all army? Are they going to go to West Point like you did? And the people were always asking, what do you want for your kids? And I remember my husband one day just said, I want them to be good value adding citizens. Yep. And I thought, damn, you don't get any better than that. <laughs> nope. And, and it's moments like the one you had with your son where there are going to be a ton of things from this age. You said he was 10. Yep. Yeah. There's going to be a hundred moments between t- 10 and 18 where you're going to think that you failed as a mom, but that. 10 year old sweetheart that wonderful soul is the one that someday is going to marry somebody else and is going to raise other kids and is going to be passing on those traits that he learned in a hunting blind right but applied to everything from do I cheat on this test or um when I have to break up with this girl do I do it with dignity or do I send her a text message right yep yep it's it's that it's something there's something in hunting and i mean you could list a whole bunch of things that you can apply from hunting and fishing and being in the outdoors that you can apply to your everyday life and to be in a high pressure high adrenaline situation and be able to make calm sure-footed decisions you can mm-hmm. apply in so many different ways. And you know, having preteens and going <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and thinking about the next few years and setting ourselves up already for these conversations and making them easy and making them lighthearted but very serious, um, mm-hmm. it opens a door of communication now that hopefully is going to be applied in the next few years. And believe me, I'm not, I don't have my eyes glazed over. I know that we're gonna have struggles. We're gonna have um, meltdowns. We're gonna have I hate yous. We're we're going to go through that. But, But I know that if I don't apply it now, if we don't have conversations now, if we don't have those quiet moments in a stand where it's just us, um, then mm-hmm. I'm definitely not going to have those later. Yes. Agreed. And agreed. I want them later. Um, whether they become fewer apart, if they start stretching apart, at least I know that they will hopefully still be there along the way. So, um, it's just, it's setting the bar. 
for me, Mm -hmm. for myself as a parent, um, but also expectations for them um, of the type of person that we expect them to be. Um, It doesn't mean that they've got to be college graduates. It doesn't have to mean that they have their master's. It doesn't mean that they have to be doctors or scientists. It, It just means, like you said, that they have to be good, upstanding, give back to the community, um, mm-hmm. people and citizens um, of whatever community that they're going to be living in. Um, and so that's that's where we're starting. That's what we're doing now. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, you know, the other thing about being a hunting woman or a hunting mother and and I very rarely, I actually have um, kind of my mantra is delete the adjective. Like I, I don't want to be good for being a woman. And I don't want to yeah. be good for being 42. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be whatever for whatever adjective, whatever box you want to put me in. I want to I want to break out with fists and gnashing teeth. That being said, I will say as our children grow up, they will have their own personalities, God willing. Mm-hmm. And if they're anything like what they seem like right now, they're going to have strong, powerful personalities yes. that are going to pull them towards independence. But when other kids are struggling to talk to, especially when you're talking about your sons, they're struggling to talk to their mothers because they're in a mode where they're supposed to be manly. It, and it's hard to communicate if you're supposed to fit into this box as they're figuring their personalities out. They will have that hunting, that that gender neutral or what should be a gender neutral, tough area mm-hmm. to communicate. Yeah. I laugh um, when I went into labor six weeks early with my son, um, they tried to stop it and he still was born five and a half weeks early and was completely healthy. Turns out I just, both my kids came very early and well, pretty early and were both very healthy big babies, probably because my husband's six foot nine. (laughs) But we're talking to the doctor and and the doctor was one of these women who grew up in Texas and was rough and tough. And my husband was worried and he, he had questions and she just looked at him and she started using Texas farm man terminology with my husband calling replacing forceps a very medical very cold term with come along yeah as if you're helping a a calf come out or helping a cow birth a calf and all of his comfort level he's extremely intelligent one of the smartest men I know but one of the smartest people I know but he it made him comfortable to communicate in a vernacular that he was really familiar with, mm-hmm. which is another reason why I see mothers specifically hunting with their sons being a great way to continue and keep open communication because when girls come around and all of those things that you never want to talk about with your parents um, become headliners in your day-to-day life as, as a youth, become headliners in their life, well, they'll still have this language that they can speak and still be a tough guy, but show their emotion to their, right. to their parents right. and specifically their mothers. Man, you, yeah, I've, so I've looked back at a couple of things and I think that was one of, I've got it written down. That was one of the things that, um, that stood out to me was delete the adjective and, uh, in hunting, it's, it's a huge conversation. Just call me a hunter. Um, it's, uh, I know I'm a woman. Everybody knows I'm a woman. I look like a woman. I'm five two. There's, there's no, you could not look at me and mistake me for a man. I look like a woman. And Mm -hmm. so to look at me and, and not just call me a hunter, um, my husband and I were talking about this the other night. If somebody said she is a female hunter, well, you have already acknowledged that she is a she, right? right? So then by saying woman hunter, you have just placed emphasis twice on the fact that she is right. female. It's unnecessary. And then it goes a little bit further from unnecessary to you're taking 
you're taking away where the emphasis should be, which is Hunter, and you're placing it doubly on the fact that she's female. And so Mm -hmm. it just becomes one of those things where, you know, a man doesn't want to be called a male hunter. Um, And would you ever say that? (laughs) No, you would never say it. Um, You you would just say he's a hunter. I'm a hunter. I do the same thing. It might not look the same way because I've had to adapt a couple things to how it would work for me. Just like a man mm-hmm. who is shorter would have to adapt things to how it would work for him. Uh, right. Or a man who's taller. I mean, you talk about your husband being six, nine. He yes. is going to have to adapt so many things, whether it's camo, backpacks. I mean, just the length of his spine in order to find a backpack that fits him. You, yes. It's just as difficult as finding something for a five foot person. You have to adapt no matter who you are. So just call me a hunter. That's right. And, and so I loved how you said that. I love that. Um, that people can look at me and say, well, she's not, like, I hate, I don't ever want to be called an influencer. I don't ever, like, please don't. <laughs> yeah. I am a storyteller. I love helping other people tell their stories. Um, but I started it because I'm a hunter. And I saw that there are women out there who do this so well. And they mm-hmm. are mentoring people. They are mentoring their families. If you get a mom into hunting, you are going to get the whole family into hunting. Yes. I have seen somebody asked me the other day, well, why do you think that women get into hunting? And I said, there are so many reasons. But passion is the underlying part of it. Um, there, There's so much desire that a woman has to have to get into it because it's not easy. Um, It's you're not going to reach out and touch another woman. Like I cannot reach out and touch another woman within 45 miles that I know of who hunts. Um, Mm -hmm. You actually have to seek out help. You have to seek out people to ask questions of. And so there are women that I've talked to who have gotten into it because of birth because they grew up in a hunting family. Um, I've talked to women who got into it because of friends or brothers at some point in time or uh, significant others. Um, And Mm -hmm. then I've talked to women who, because they are single moms and their kids have wanted to hunt, have passionately sought after how to do it so that they can be there for their kids. And so all of those things... There's an underlying part of it that is passion and desire, because without Mm -hmm. that determination, without that desire to be in it, you wouldn't stay with it. There's no reason to. Um, And you have actually talked about that um, when you were going. I mean, we can go ahead and throw this in there because I'm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a pretty big thing. Um, I, you have thrown in the fact, and you have said it over and over because I've I've seen it. Don't let the quit in, right? right. Definitely. Don't let the quit in. Um, I. There are a lot of times that you yourself have had the opportunity to quit. Um, Goodness, yes. <laughs> and um, just with ranger school, um, mm-hmm. the the times that you have started and not been able to complete, um, the times where I was watching you tell the story of how um, you can get voted off the island, but you can also get voted on the island. Um, mm-hmm. I don't give us because this is a huge part of you. Even on your email, you said adversity doesn't build character; it reveals it. Tell yes. us just a little bit because we don't have a whole lot more time. But I tell us a little bit about that desire and how it has carried through um, Ranger School, but also in your life. Um, yeah, that was a big warm up into that, but. <laughs> Give us a little bit of how that started. 
the the desire yeah did not quit like don't let that quit in Uh, You know, what's funny is I I feel bad because I stole that from Ronda Rousey of all people. Um, (laughs) I love uh, MMA and Ultimate Fighter had a TV show and I watch TV so rarely, but I adore Ronda Rousey. And she was a coach on the TV show that was trying to pick the next Ultimate Fighter. And she had a guy who couldn't cut weight and he was in a steam shower trying to to lose ounces of water and he was he was spitting and steaming his body and trying to to cut weight at the last minute and you know he's talking through the door to to Rhonda and says like I I just want to drink the water I'm so thirsty and she goes don't do it because once you left let the quit in it's not just there today it's there forever yeah once you let the quit in it's there forever yeah and I had I had never heard it put that way but it had been something that I had felt for as long as I can remember. And it, it was always, if, if I ever had a task that I thought I couldn't complete, instead of thinking how I wanted to quit, I would daydream about opportunities, how I, opportunities that I would have been forced to succeed or forced to fail. Mm-hmm. So I would use mental techniques of daydreaming basically to, to get me over those, I want to quit spots. So in ranger school for me, it was, um, I sat down with the chaplain. I had a, a chaplain who was also older. So he was 40 and I was about to turn 38. I was 37 at, at towards, towards the end of the school. I graduated and two weeks later, I turned 38. So he and I were way older than the average age of 23. Yeah. And I said, hey, chaplain, pray with me. He's like, okay, Lisa, I'll pray with you. And get down on me. And I said, dear Lord, please give me the strength to get through this day. I really need you. But, you know, if you happen to make me fall and break my ankle and I have to leave and it's not my fault, then I'm not mad at God. (laughs) And he looked at me and the chaplain was like, you can't say that. I'm like, well, this is how I don't quit. Yeah. And what I was doing was the same thing I've done since I was I was younger, uh, which was kind of setting quit criteria. I wouldn't I wouldn't quit, but if I have a broken ankle and I can't do anything else, then I'll leave. But anything short of a broken ankle, I can make it through this. Right. And at some point in time, I injured my shoulder. I injured my shoulder bad enough at Ranger School that um, I was able to to do rehab and get some. Uh, steroid injections, not regular, like illegal steroids, but right, right, right. The, normal, the normal doctor prescribed insurance paid for injections to make it through. But I ultimately got sh- had shoulder surgery for a fairly serious shoulder injury. And, you know, I'm walking around with these huge packs on my back with the shoulder injury, but I didn't break an ankle so I could still walk. Yeah. So as long as I could pick that bag up and I could still walk, I couldn't leave. So, um, I, I do like the idea of adversity defining you mm-hmm. because I've never looked at somebody and something terrible happened to them and think, oh, that poor soul. The thing that goes through my mind is, okay, now is the exciting part. Mm, yeah. How are they going to react to this? Are they going to get mad at everybody? Are they going to lose their faith, get mad at God? Obviously, I'm a Christian woman, so you know, I, I'm driving towards that. Christianity message there, but yeah. are they going to get oh God? Are they going to hate their family? Are they going to hate the person who did this to them? Or are they going to own it? And are they going to grow past it? And and it took until I was watching UFC and Ronda Rousey saying, "Don't let the quit in," for me to be able to verbalize that. But it was it was setting quit criteria. It was everybody goes through something in their life where you just want to walk away, whether it's a rough marriage and sometimes, sometimes walking away is the right thing. Right. But when it's not the right thing, how do you pull yourself through it? What mental techniques do you have and how you deal with adversity and how you come out on the other side? Do you come out sounding like a bitter old hag or do you come out sounding like somebody who not only learned from your situation, but you will reach down and pick the next person up and pull them into your, 
into your success and into your learnings. So I really sounded like I was on a pulpit there, but that is no, it makes it, it makes pure sense because there are so many things in life that you can prepare for. Um, there are so many things in life that you can prepare partially for. Like I know in ranger school, you know that you're going to need to be strong enough to do a certain number of push-ups. You know that you're going to have to have a mental head strength game. You're going to have to have a heart spiritual, like you are going, you are going to have to be prepared for that, but Uh you will never be prepared enough to meet and then go past it. You're going to have to figure out in that moment. Um, We talk a lot about, you know, I don't know what I would do if I lost my husband. I don't know what I would do if I lost a child. Like I do not know how I would continue to go on. There's no prep for that. There is, there's heart prep. There's, there are things that you can do that, that make it to where when you get there, you aren't at a complete loss. Um, You don't, you aren't for lack of support. You are not like, there are things that you can kind of sit, but you will never be prepared for those situations. Right. And that's when you see, like you said, you see the character of somebody when they get past the point of preparation and mm-hmm. they get to character. And you don't, an nec- you don't necessarily see it even like there's a we can fake it till we make it all we can until you get to that point. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> there there I can put this smile on my face until. Mm-hmm. I get stuck in mud up to my throat and I can't move. And then it becomes, okay, how do I get out of here? I saw a video the other day of an instructor instructing people on how to get out of quicksand. And it's on YouTube. It's um, like she purposefully puts herself above her waist in quicksand. And she is sinking as she is talking. And she's completely calm and she she goes through the actual process of when you get to this point, this is what you do. Mm-hmm. And it is not a haul yourself out of there. It is it is strategic. You have to do it a certain way or you will be you will continue to be sucked under. Yes. And and that's kind of that's how I picture it. Like I can be throat deep in mud and it's how do I get out of that and you, you can't plan you can't prepare for that moment um, and so that I think that's why all of those things kind of stuck to me because it's constant you see right now the world that we're living in you see cancer you see sickness you see all of these things that we have fears about and um and this is where you start seeing character. Mm-hmm. Um, this Most is definitely. this is where you see um, the real side of people. Um, you see the people coming out who are loving on their neighbors, who are sharing food, mm-hmm. who are sharing homes, who are sharing. Um, they're taking care of other people. Um, and then you see the opposite, and it is where you get to that breaking point, that breaking point of pre- preparation and fear. And yes. it's how you take that next step. And so, yeah, it those things stood out to me in reading things about you and seeing um, videos of you speaking. Those were the things that stood out to me, and um, they meant a lot to me. So thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's thank you. No, and you know what? That's it's that's a perfect way to wrap up this time mm-hmm. is um, you know, talking about how adversity really displays your character. The the people who honestly need help, I hey, I, I'm sorry you're in those stages, but the people who don't honestly need help, who are asking for help 
those are the ones where I want to grab them and say, take care of yourself so you can help your neighbor because there's nothing better Mm -hmm. than me being able to make an extra batch of turkey chili, wrap it up in some old Tupperware and put it on a neighbor's front porch or um, go buy and buy something that I don't really need from a store that I don't really like, but it's a local business and and I want to support them and they're good people. Yep. And, you know, it's funny because we bought our first toilet paper a couple of weeks ago and I laugh about that, but it's because we always are prepared mm-hmm. when, because at rugby games, they never have toilet paper in the bathroom. So I always keep a toilet, a case of toilet paper in my car. And <laughs> so I always have that extra kind of stuff because we're, we prepare ourselves. And so when adversity does come, we're able to reach out and it's not because we're all that great. It's because I have a wonderful support system and I have this life where I have kids that I can openly talk to. So when Mm -hmm. everybody started stressing out at school and their friends were worried about what was happening next, my kids probably like yours could say, Hey, this is what we need to do. Yeah. Hey, hasn't your mom been telling you, wash your hands. Don't put your hands in your mouth. Right. Um, You know, they, they're like, this is, this is normal stuff. It's, it's a little more intense and, Mm -hmm. but that's okay. And we can reach out and we can help our neighbors because that should be a mantra to not have the quit in and, and to embrace adversity, even when it's, it's heartbreaking. I mean, your examples were wretched, but I would hope that I would have the strength to help my neighbor or to help myself Mm -hmm. should, or, I would have paid enough into my neighbor neighbors so that when I hit that point, I could ask for help. Yes. Too, yes. It's also a right. Yeah. Because it, it is, there's a sense of pride that has to break down in order. I, I am the worst at asking for help. And <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> it is, it is something that I have to work on. And I think that God humbles me a lot to remind me. <laughs> um, yeah of my pride. I think that's one thing that he has his finger on me with. Um, but (laughs) it is, uh, it's not there. There is a part of helping yourself, which is, Hey, I am to the point where I need accountability or I need somebody to kick my tail into shape because I have laxed on that or, um, I need help with addiction or I need help with whatever it is, being able to know when you do need to ask that, that person yes. for help. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Um, it's important to know your boundaries, but it's also important to have people around you who know that you can push harder. Um, and I think like you're big into CrossFit and that whole community is is about nope you can push harder you can do that you can it's um it's that accountability of holding yourself responsible for it um but yeah lisa i appreciate your time tonight and um i have enjoyed every single part of this conversation and i hope other people do as well but i I just want to congratulate you on um, on Ranger School and on every aspect of um, on how far that you have come and how much further you are going to come. Congratulations on um, on what's about to happen this week. And um, I'm excited for where that's going to take you and your family. So congratulations. Thanks, Amy. I really appreciate it. And I also very much enjoyed this conversation. Good. I'm glad. I'm very glad. And tell people, um, do you? this was one thing I was telling somebody that I was going to be talking to you this week. And they went online on Instagram to find you. And there are so many copycat accounts. Um, oh, I know. That is ridiculous. Ridiculous! It drives me crazy when that happens. But um, of course, as the podcast comes out, I will have you linked in there to the right account. But um, but tell people how that they how they can find you on social okay. media. Oh, I'd have to look. 
Um, my, <laughs> my Facebook account is actually a, um, a certified account. Right. So that's good. I've got the blue check mark there. Apparently Instagram, you have to have an obscene amount of followers that I do not that's have. That's ridiculous. Um, You're yes, Lisa my- A. Jaster on, on Instagram. I'm glad you told me that because yeah. I was trying to look and I couldn't find it. Yeah, no, no. And I'm on Facebook. I'm Lisa.a.jaster. But okay. if you look up delete the adjective, three separate words, then my public account will come up. And, okay. and that one's a lot easier to follow. Yeah. And they can find you through that hashtag too, probably. Um, of course. But yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Y'all go. Y'all go find her. Follow her. Your your workouts are very inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> But also seeing your kids, seeing your kids do it, um, picking up bows, picking up, I don't, and there's just, there's, there are fam, there are a lot of families actually out there in our hunting community that are family involved and I love every single one of them. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. It, it gives me the drive to keep going. Exactly. Yep. Well, thank you, Lisa. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Amy. Go follow Lisa on Instagram and Facebook and check out her hashtag, delete the adjective. And um, I hope you enjoyed this episode.